morning's reading is from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 8, 14 to 26, and 32 to 33. It's on page 1018, if you have church Bibles. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he's shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything in advance. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, great to be with you again this morning. Uh, full disclosure, I'm uh, a bit growly this morning, picked up a cold somewhere in the week, and uh, so do bear with me. Today we'll continue our series about hope. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Rupert spoke about hope in the end times uh, and some of the events that precede the end of the age, including some of the 
um, existential threats that occurred in the New Testament age. So in those days, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes and famine were the kind of existential threats that they knew would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and they should not be worried about those things. Today, we're looking at the second coming, the hope of the second coming. And as we'll see, there's much to be hopeful for, but before we get too excited and look at that, some reasons to be cheerful. Back in when I was a young man, the global existential threats were these. A meteorite strike, such as wiped out the dinosaurs, nuclear war, nerve agents, chemical warfare, alien invasion. All of these threats gradually diminished over the course of my young life. So the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics now keeps an eye on meteorites. Nuclear war, the SALT II talks and the non-proliferation treaties sort of put that into the background. Nerve agents were relegated to James Bond movies. Who can forget Agent Rosa Klebb, the Smirsch agent from Russia with love? And UFOs and aliens became the preserve of cranks who gathered in Roswell, New Mexico once a year wearing tinfoil hats. But today, well, I'm glad to say today, meteorites are still not on the agenda. <clears throat> this um, this uh, statement from NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory just earlier this year, NASA knows of no asteroid or comet, comet currently on a collision course with the Earth. As best we can tell, no large object is likely to strike the Earth any time in the next several hundred years. Phew. However, nuclear war is back on the agenda. Just this year, President Vladimir Putin suspended participation in the SALT II Treaty. North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, India, and Israel are all believed to have or be developing nuclear weapons. Nerve agents are back. Novichok, Salisbury, Whoever would have thought to put those two words in the same sentence? And water companies are scrambling to try to preserve our waters from chemical attack. Aliens are back. 16th of December 2017, New York Times reveals a secret Pentagon program that is investigating UFOs. UFO sightings are openly discussed in Congress. And NASA, the CIA, all investing in programs to investigate what are now known as UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And if that's not enough, global existential threats, we can now add climate change, pandemics, the antibiotic crisis, and artificial intelligence. If we put up the slide now. We are now pushing at an open door 
if we talk to people about the end of the age. These delightful gentlemen back in Victorian times were not untypical of people who back in those days when everything seemed rosy, when all was well in the world, Browning said, uh, they were trying to convince people that one day things would come to an end. We don't have to do that today. A recent survey discovered just in April this year that 74 million, 74 million Americans are prepping for disaster. That's the new term, prepping. Prepping is a big business, it says, with roughly a third of the adult population in the US spending a collective $11 billion in the last 12 months on emergency preparations. We no longer need to convince people of disaster to come. In fact, Luke, in Luke 21, has this to say. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity. People will faint from terror in apprehension of what is coming on the world. But then in contrast to that terror and fear, the next verse says this. But at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Into the middle of terror and fear comes hope. Hope, that is, for those who are looking for Jesus. Now, we're going to be looking at the second coming. It's not something we teach on a lot, but the Bible does have a lot to say about it. According to Google, in the Bible, the new birth is, is mentioned nine times. Baptism is mentioned 52 times. Repentance is mentioned 89 times. But the second coming of Christ is mentioned over 1,500 times in the Old Testament and 300 times in the New Testament. And since it's Advent, let's note that for every time the first coming of Jesus is mentioned in the Bible, the second coming of Jesus is mentioned eight times. So we should take note what it is, why we should long for it, and when it will happen. Okay, so what it is. Jesus spoke often about his return and spoke about it being a sudden, personal, visible, and bodily return. If I go away, I will come back, he said. The writers of the New Testament all spoke about it. The four gospel writers spoke about it, and then Luke in the book of Acts speaks about it. This same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. James, Jesus' own brother, says the Lord's coming is near. And Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. John in the book of Revelation speaks many times of his coming. He will come in the clouds and every eye will see him. And the very last sentence of the Bible is, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The church down through the ages has taught about it and sung about it. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for helpless sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, 
swell the triumph of his train. The Bible teaches his coming will be sudden, like a lightning flash, dramatic with trumpets and archangels and a loud command, visible to everyone, every eye will see him. He will come down from the sky or the air with the clouds. It will be physical in the same way that he went. The same body that went was the same guy who just a couple of weeks before had had a barbecue of fish on the beach. This will be a physical Jesus returning to this earth. So that's what it will be. Why should we long for it? Well, first of all, it says it will be our homecoming. John, uh, in John, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And our reading today, Mark 13, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth. Why should we long for it? It will be a time of rewards. Revelation 22 says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. To Timothy, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Judgment. When the Son of Man comes in glory, all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and he will separate the people one from another. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance and those on his left, depart from me you who are cursed. The Christian message is one of love and not taking revenge for the wrongs done to us. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the judge. God is our judge. And on that day when Christ returns, he will be the judge of all mankind. Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who sat at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing shall the true Messiah see. And the fourth reason for it, as to be hopeful for it is glorification. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Now we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And elsewhere it says, we will be changed to be like him in the twinkling of an eye. As I woke up with a, uh, a cold this morning and took another couple of Panadol, how I longed for that new body that I would be given. So hope is in his coming that it will bring about a homecoming, rewards, judgment and glorification. Okay, now I know the question you're all asking is when will it happen? Well, we don't know. And the Bible tells us we don't know and Jesus tells us even he doesn't know. But our passage gives us some clues but the problem with this passage is that Jesus is answering four different questions at the same time. Verse 4, it says, tell us when these things will happen. And the disciples mean, when will the destruction of Jerusalem happen? 
And what will be the signs that they're about to be fulfilled, they ask. But the same passage in Matthew also adds a couple of other questions. And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So in this passage, Jesus is answering four different questions. First of all, he says, don't worry about false teachers. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. There'll be earthquakes in various places, pestilences and famines. You know, he's saying basically, don't worry about all the existential threats of your day. These are just the beginning of the birth pangs, the Braxton Hicks, for any of you who've gone through uh, antenatal training. Then he goes on. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, then you're to flee to the mountains. Luke's a bit more specific. He says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that this desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And he even appears to give some indication of the time scale. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. And so here we can conclude he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because that's exactly what happened. 37 years later, after he, he talked to them in AD 70, Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans and the temple was destroyed. But beforehand, the historians tell us, Eusebius, uh, writing in the fourth century, says that many Jerusalem Christians, being warned, departed and settled in one of the cities of Perea, which is called Pella. Perea is the area that we know as a Decapolis, on, uh, on the Decapolis, on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, this fact's confirmed by another historian, Pephanius, and the biography of the first century Clement of Rome talks also about 5,000 Jerusalem Christians fleeing to Jericho. So you see, Jesus gives these very specific instructions to flee in order to rescue this group, to forewarn them. If you're out in the fields, he says, don't go back into the city. That is in the intention that they would be forewarned and take action. Verse 23, so be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But then you see mixed in with these instructions about fleeing Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, there are some passages that concern the end of the age and signs of Jesus' second coming. These passages talk about cosmic events, talk about the whole earth and other nations, not just Judea. Uh, I once uh, saw on TV a, a Hollywood actor talking about his childhood and he was from an Italian family and some of his uncles were in the mafia. And he spoke very warmly about them, but he also said they, they weren't too bright. And uh, he said at one time, believing that the FBI were listening into their conversations, he overheard his uncle talking, because they would speak in code. Hey, Luigi, it's on the phone. Hey, Luigi, see you tonight. Yeah, 10 o'clock. Hey, 
Remember to bring the ting. Yeah, the ting. You know, the ting. Yeah, Luigi. Hey, and remember to bring the bullets for the ting. <laughs> you see, in this passage, we see mixed in with the instructions about fleeing Jerusalem, little clues about the end of the age and Jesus' final return. He gives us some signs. He says, in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Again, Luke's a bit more helpful. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror and apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. People, likewise today, are in anguish and perplexity. People are worried. There are wars, Ukraine, Israel. There are rumors of wars, Taiwan, Venezuela. There are famines, there are earthquakes. And then there is the nuclear threat, the climate change, pandemics, artificial intelligence. People and governments, as we know, are in anguish and are perplexed. But we can be different because we know just as the Christians in Jerusalem knew, verse 23, that I have told you everything ahead of time. And what is it that he tells us? He tells us he has another rescue plan. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. And he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And Luke continues, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Don't you be in anguish and perplexity, he says. Don't you faint with terror. Don't you be apprehensive. Stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when? Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. And what does he mean for us to do? You see, the danger Jesus warns about throughout this passage is not destruction, desecration, or despots. He warns about deception, distraction, and despondency. Deception about false messiahs, or being distracted by persecutions, or the despondency about the signs and events. You know, I mean, I spoke to you some, some of you earlier this week. I was really despondent earlier this week. As I looked at the news of how um, governments were refusing to support uh, the Ukraine, uh, how things were uh, developing uh, in other parts of legislation, I was so despondent. And it was just as well I was preparing the sermon. 
because it says, don't be despondent. In Luke's version at the end of this passage, passage he, he, has, he records Jesus saying this, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the earth. Be always on watch and pray that you might be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So it could happen any time. Be on your guard, be alert, Jesus says, in contrast to everyone around you. Stand up, lift up your heights. Be faithful, you do not know when that time will come. Yea, amen, let all adore thee, high on thine eternal throne. Saviour, take the power and glory, claim the kingdom for thine own. Oh, come quickly, oh, come quickly, hallelujah, come, Lord, come. Let us pray. Hebrews says that you are coming to bring salvation to those who are waiting for you. And that there is in store for me a crown of righteousness and for all who have longed for his appearing. Lord, we pray that we might not be distracted by all that we see around us, nor be despondent of what is happening in the world. But Lord, that we pray that we might look and be longing for your appearing. Amen.